Welcome to St. James on the west end of Alexandria. It is good to see those of you who I can see and to know those of you who I cannot see are out there as well. We are all brought together from the 26 states and the seven different countries that are represented on the stream as well as the different folks from different places that come together in person here in this space. So just wanted to say welcome. This week I had the opportunity to reflect because uh, in the midst of kind of a busy, crazy week, um, we had an electrician at the Parsonage on Monday uh, and they made our problem with electricity in our house where only one section of the house wasn't working, go away, so that all worked. And then they came back on Friday so that actually we have now three-pronged plugs throughout the house before it was all just polarized plugs. So they came back and uh, were there until like 8 o'clock on uh, 8.30. We sat down to dinner after they left. And then we thought, we should have invited that guy to stay and have dinner with us. But it was too late by that point. Uh, I think if we had been less hungry, we might have done. But it was busy. I spent the day on Thursday with a bunch of clergy at the seminary. Uh, listening to stories about the, uh, you'll hear aspects of this in upcoming sermons, I'm sure, because we talked about Good Friday, we talked about uh, Easter Sunday, what they mean, how they mean, different ways of interpreting them from different uh, groups and different places. So a day at the seminary, I had lunch with a group of clergy, like the 36 clergy that I'm the caretaker of, uh, and the district superintendent on Wednesday. It was uh, an eventful week, but in between, I had time to spend time reflecting on this story that we've now done, that we're now going to have done for two weeks. Last week, we did Well Water, where we talk about Jesus encountering a woman, a Samaritan woman, at the well. And she's coming to get water, and Jesus is sitting there because he's tired, etc. Um, and then she, he asks for water, she pushes back, he offers her water, she says, you don't have a bucket, and he says, I have the kind of water that will bubble up from the inside and give you spiritual life. I realized as I reflected on it that I've heard this woman preached about a number of times in my life, and chances are pretty good that I've preached about her a number of times too. And I suspect that like Barbara uh, Taylor Brown talked about in uh, her video earlier, that depending upon when I was telling the story, I was frozen in time by that moment. Whatever was happening in my life became the way that I told the story. Because I'm convinced that good stories aren't something that you read, they read you. So when you're at a place in your life when you need encouragement, you read the story of the woman at the well and you think, man, I need that kind of water. And suddenly that's the frame with which you capture it. You read it at another time in your life when everything's going great and, uh, and you see her from a whole different light. So I realize in my life I've talked about her any number of times. I'm going to try to talk about her without a frame today. But if I'm being really honest with you, and I'm doing my best to be that, every time I get up here every week, chances are very solid that there's a frame out of which I will be coming 
when I read this story to you. That this story has read me this week. And I realized as I read the story, I realized that there really are a series of sermons. I could do six. I could do six sermons just from the woman at the well. Not only is it a really long story, but it, there are six, six sermons at least uh, in this encounter. So last week, we had the woman at the well. We left off with the woman saying, give me this water that will bubble up inside me. I really, really want that. Give me the water that will bubble up and transform me because I want that water. I want that water. That's where we left off last week. So this week, we're going to pick up with um, right after, you know, we'll pick up with her line because I think that's just fine. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true, said the woman. The woman said, sir, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as those to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one you are seeking to. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking to her? (laughs) Then the woman left. Uh, leaving behind her water jar, and went back to the city. She said to people, come and see a man who told me everything I have done. I can, is it possible that he's the Messiah? They left the city and were on the way to Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And it's just way too long to do all in one Sunday, although I, I have done that before. This year I actually divided it into two. Maybe the next time I preach it, I'll divide it into six. I don't know. Um, so we have this story. Jesus has sat down because he's tired, and he's asked the woman for water. She's uh, said, what are you doing asking me for water? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't share things in common. I don't get it. Jesus says, well, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask, for wa- you'd ask me for water. And she said, you don't have a bucket. And he said, no, but I offer you a kind of water that you'll, uh, will bubble up from the inside and you'll never thirst again. And she's like, 
dude, I do not want to come to this well anymore. So if you can give me water that bubbles up from inside of me, I will take it. Uh, and uh, he was talking about, of course, a different kind of water. And so then Jesus uh, turns around and says, go and call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Uh, and then as you heard, Jesus says, no, you've had five husbands, and the man that you live with now is not your husband. Now, let me just tell you something about the way I've always framed that story, the way I've always framed that story until this week. And that is as a judgmental statement. I just, you know, good and evil. I jumped right on the bandwagon with everybody else, good and evil. Oh, my gosh. She has had five husbands. You know, in our society, that might not look so good. People, you know, oh, serial monogamist, I see. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but in the first century, women had no access to owning anything. They didn't get to take care of themselves or own property. They couldn't have a job. They relied on men, which is one of the reasons why in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, the law states that if a brother gets married and he dies, uh, then his brother marries the wife so that she has a place to live and has food to eat. It's not just so, uh, it's not just so they could pass this woman around, it's so that she has, is taken care of because they, she didn't have access to anything. We don't think about it that way 2,000 years later, although women are often treated like second-class citizens in the world in which we live. Uh, in the first century, not only treated like second-class citizens, but not even citizens at all. No ownership. So the fact that, and she didn't have much say in being married. She didn't get to say, no, I'm not doing that. She did what was necessary to survive, and often at the behest of another man. Usually her father decided who she would marry. So having five husbands is not a bad or a good thing. It is a thing. Jesus is simply telling her what she's done. Now, I have spent most of my life thinking, oh my gosh, and putting some kind of moral attitude on her. Jesus isn't putting a moral attitude. He's stating a fact. To survive, you've had five husbands and the man that you live with right now. And I'm immediately thinking, promiscuous. Who's to say what the relationship she is, has with the man that she's living with right now? So can we just put that aside? Because that's not what the story is about. We get caught in the morality of it in the middle, and we're thinking, oh, this poor, broken, immoral woman. She's just a woman who came to the well in the middle of the day. And as we talked about last week, as a nameless person, unfortunately because she was a woman, I chose to spin that namelessness in a positive way because many of us feel like we're nameless disciples in God's world. And God uses nameless disciples. Look at this woman who I wish I knew her name. I wish I knew her name, but maybe I don't need it. So Jesus tells her, go call your husband. She says, I don't have one. He talks to her. They have a deep religious conversation about spirit and truth. You're going to worship God in spirit and truth. It's going to be bigger than Jerusalem or right here in Samaria. It's not, going to, uh, it's not going to be about the place because when you worship in spirit and truth, you can be online or you can be in person. You can be wherever you are 
Because that's where God is. No matter where you go, there God is. God is, is there. And so we're going to worship God in spirit and truth. Now, she is so overwhelmed by it. Okay, brief aside, we will throw this in here. We could do a whole sermon about this. The disciples show up, and they think to themselves, what's he doing talking to this woman? But do they ask him? Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> they just keep the question to themselves. Perhaps they realized it was a stupid question. I often say there's no such thing as a stupid question. You know, uh, but clearly it was against their assumptions. So we already know Jesus talking to a woman who he's not related to doesn't make sense to the disciples in the first. They're going to make it an either or, good or bad. So they don't ask. The woman gets up, goes back into town, and says a, a series of three words, followed by a bunch of others. But those three words are what is key for our story today. Come and see. Not just come, not just see, but come and see. Now what's interesting in the Gospel of John, the first person to say come and see is Jesus. Some of the disciples ask, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. Then Nathaniel, uh, uh, Philip runs into Nathaniel and says, hey, I met a man from Nazareth, and you need to come and see him. And Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and Philip's response, come and see. Come and see. So now this woman has encountered Jesus, just like Philip had encountered Jesus, and she goes into town and she says to people that are doing whatever they're doing, the various kind of work that you have to do to stay alive, um, when you're poor, that was most of the people probably from the town of Sakhar, where they are right now, they come to see. Now, this also should hint a little bit about the character of the woman we're talking about. Because if she had no character or standing in town, no one would have cared what she had to say. Do you understand? No one would have listened to her. She could have told them the sky was falling. They wouldn't even have looked up. Because she didn't count. Perhaps she was respected in town. Because when she says, come and see, they get up and come and see. We leave off at the very end, kind of hanging there, which would offer us another week of sermons, I suppose, if I wanted to go there. But come and see. And what do they do? They go to see. They leave town because they want to hear about this. Could it be the Messiah? Yes, it could be. I think the answer that is asked by this woman is the, the answer that we're supposed to give for ourselves here in the middle of the fourth chapter. Could this be the Messiah? Could Jesus be the Messiah? He's already said for the first time in his conversation with a woman, I am. We know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I am. Now, we don't pay much attention to that. 
And the reason we don't pay attention to it is I am. It's just two words. Do you know whose name I am is? God's. Remember the burning bush? Remember the burning bush? Jesus encounters, uh, not Jesus, Moses. Let's get our name straight here, James. Jumping around, you got to get it. Moses comes to the bush and says, who shall I say is sending me to deliver the people from Egypt? And God essentially says, I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. The verb to be, that's God's name. Which is essentially is, you can't pin me down. I am. Jesus says to the woman, I am. Could he be the Messiah? Now, this is the question that hangs on us as the people of faith in the 21st century. Could he be the Messiah? And how could he be the Messiah for us in the 21st century? Didn't he die 21 centuries ago? Yes. And then he rose again. But what does that mean for us? That was first century Palestine. This is 21st century America. We got big problems. How do we solve those? Where does this come and see thing help us out at all? Come and see that you matter. Because, you know, I'm convinced that when people know they matter, they treat other people as if they matter. The people who treat each other bad are the people who question whether they're any good, personally. If I think I'm bad, then I'm going to question whether you're good too. I'm going to spend most of my time thinking you don't matter because you couldn't matter if I don't matter. And then it's perfectly fine however I choose to treat you. I can call you names. I can push you away. I can do anything I want to do. And why can I do that? Because I don't matter and neither do you. Come and see a God who knows everything about you and doesn't say, oh, that's a throwaway human being. God doesn't make throwaway human beings. God doesn't make throwaway stuff. The only one I know that makes throwaway stuff is people. Almost everything we get nowadays, you can't keep reusing it. It's designed to be thrown away. One use, boom. I have this device. It's sitting over there. Every year they tell me it's obsolete and I need a new one. <laughs> I cannot make a call with a, an iPhone. I'm running on an iPhone 12. Let me just tell you, I am so yesterday afternoon... <laughs> Just so yesterday afternoon, everything is thrown away in our society. Trade it in for something new immediately. God doesn't believe in throwaway human beings. You matter. And if you knew deep in your heart, if you knew that you mattered, you would treat everybody you encountered like they mattered. And if they knew they mattered, they would treat you like you mattered. But we're so busy thinking, hmm, I'm not quite good enough, I don't matter, that it gives me permission to think I matter by making you feel like you matter less than I do. It's all a comparison. It's the either-or thing. Why can't it both be both and? It's beautiful to be me, 
but it's beautiful to be you. I look around and I see this rich tapestry of beautiful faces, black and, and, and Asian and uh, of all descents in this room with me. Never mind those of you who are online. And I celebrate the difference. Isn't God amazing that God loves such diversity and celebrates such beauty? All different shapes and sizes, skin colors, eye colors, hair colors, lack of hair, whatever it is. God celebrates that. You matter. You are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved for the gift you already are, brothers and sisters, and those who don't identify with either of those. You are loved. And if you could get that inside of you, if you could realize deep inside how true that is, that God already loves you, you would want to give your heart away to him. And then you'd want to go out into the world and make sure everybody else knew that they were loved. Not they were judged, but they were loved. We are busy as a church way too often telling people that they ought to be judged, that they don't measure up, how we wish they could be as morally pure as we are, as if we were. We all drop the ball. Can we just be honest with each other? We all drop the ball. I drop the ball all the time. I can't tell you how many times I dropped the ball this week because I lost count. God doesn't keep count about you or me. I'm infinitely precious and unconditionally loved for the gift I already am, as are you. And if I treat you like you're that gift, and you treat me like I'm that gift, we would solve all the world's problems. But we don't see each other as gifts. We see each other as competitors. And that's where that image of either or becomes a real problem. I should probably know the difference, some either ors, between hot water and cold water. Because if I turn on only the hot water in my shower and get in there tomorrow, I will come out like a lobster. And maybe with second or third degree burns. So I should probably know hot or cold and adjust accordingly. But everything else doesn't have to be good or bad. It is so often how I catch it in the moment. I was convinced for years that this woman with five husbands and one that wasn't even her husband now was bad. Why was I convinced? I don't know, because maybe I thought I was bad. And I thought, well, at least I haven't had five husbands. And one that I've got now that I'm not even married to. Thank goodness I'm not as bad as her. See how either or becomes so easy? Jesus didn't make a judgment when he stated the facts about her life. Maybe he was reminding her of how out of control her life was as a woman in first century Palestine having no choices about who she married and what she did. Always at the behest of a man. Maybe he was simply remembering your life's out of control, but you know what? There's a God who already loves you, out of control or not. Not a judgment, an invitation. What would it look like if as a church, as individuals, as people of faith, we saw every opportunity, every conversation as an invitation to show love? I mean it. Invitation to love. Oh, there's a, 
there's a person at the checkout counter at Target. I've got an invitation to love that person just for who they are. Maybe they're having a bad day and they need somebody to chat with them. That's just going to be loving to them no matter what. Have you ever had your day turned upside down by the fact that you were having a bad day and someone came along and they just said something kind to you? Man, I really like the look of that sweater you're wearing today. Man, your hair looks really good today. Now, where do we go immediately? Did my hair look bad yesterday? Either or. Why does it have to be either or? Just complimenting you now. Your hair looks great now. It looked great yesterday. It looked different great yesterday because yesterday was yesterday. I'm just talking about now. Jesus was just talking about now. Yeah, you had this history. So what? Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything. Could he be the Messiah? Now the question for you, the question for us. Could Jesus be the Messiah for us? Are you willing to hear his message of unconditional love for you? How infinitely precious you are because there is no other like you. As an image of God, it's not that you're rubber stamped to look like everybody else. It means that inside you bear something that is radically different than anything else in the universe that is meant to reflect the goodness and glory of God in your way infinitely precious because you're the only one that can reflect it. You can choose not to, or at least try. But the truth is you reflect a bit of the infinite in your own little limited way, just like I do. Come and see. Come and see, could he be the Messiah? Now I want to encourage you this week to answer that question for yourself. And what would it mean if he was? We don't use the word Messiah. We don't walk around, oh, look, there's the Messiah. Oh. You know, it's not a word we use all the time. Could he be the one that could save my life? Save me from me. Save me from a society that tells me my value is what my paycheck looks like. Save me from a society that tells me my value is based on how old or young I am what color my skin is, what gender I identify with, what my sexuality is. We can just tell people all their value in all these different kinds of ways, and that's not what God's looking for. God's not... I'm not saying God's not interested in you and all those pieces of you, but God already loves you. And if you could live like you're loved and encounter everyone that you encounter as though they're loved, you will change that person and by ripple effects, all the other persons around you. Come and see, come and see someone, someone who told me everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? Jesus' own answer is, I am. I am. Now, what will we do with that? What will we do with that? You've come and seen, online, in person, 
later in the week, whenever this recording goes out, you, or you, maybe you're just listening. Maybe you're just listening to this on our sermon podcast. Whatever it is. Is there something worth coming and seeing? And can you believe that the Messiah came for you? The Savior, the one who wants to save you from yourself and from all the corruption around you and the ways of seeing the world that values you about other things other than what God sees. God sees the heart and loves you just the way you are and invite you to an ever-deepening relationship. Come and see. Come and see. If we're being honest, every week when I get up here and talk, I'm trying to invite you to come and see what I saw this week. In the midst of my crazy, busy life, you, you know, I'd like to tell you that my whole life is spent writing a sermon from Sunday to Sunday, but most of you who listen to my sermons would say, hmm, well, then you need to, maybe you just don't have enough time. Maybe you spend, better work on that a little bit more, brother. <laughs> um, I don't spend my whole week. I just keep looking for God everywhere. And by the end of the week, writing, journaling, praying, reading the text over and over again, just kind of opens up to me. Come and see what I saw this week. Now, what would be really cool is you go home this week and read John chapter 4, and then you've got your own come and see moment. What did you see? Maybe you say to your friend, come and see what I saw in this text this week. You know, this woman's actually pretty cool. She's maybe the first evangelist. She went into town and invited a whole bunch of people to come and see Jesus because it was that powerful to her. So go out into the world and let people see the love of God in you.